0: Just out of curiosity, you like dancing, you know? Have you ever seen Jesse and Maria dance? Some of you don't know them, but they're they're fun to watch them dance. They have such a good time. I wish I could do that. I feel so embarrassed, you know. I remember when we got married, um, they made me and my and my wife dance. Not just a slow dance, but then they started playing some fast music, and so in front of all hundreds of people. You know, they made us dance, and they actually gave us sunglasses, and they did like the BGS, and it was <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad, and the worst part about it is it's on video. <laughs> it's <not> on <laughs> no, no YouTube. <laughs> no, it's not on YouTube. No way. <laughs> yeah, but you know, oh man, but you know, it, to bring the Ark of the Covenant. To the city of God, Jerusalem, I think I'd dance. Now, there's another movie. It wasn't too bad of a movie. It was a recent movie. I think it was called Alice in Wonderland. And it's kind of like at the end of the movie. How many of you saw that, Alice in Wonderland? Just out of curiosity. Remember what uh, the guy said at the very end? He said, I'll do that dance, that weird dance, you know, <laughs> when you get the victory. I was thinking, Lord, in heaven, I'll dance. <laughs> you know, and, and I can't wait to get there. That's the background to this psalm. When you think about it, the Ark of the Covenant coming to Jerusalem and God just saying, man, you know what? This is a reason to rejoice. David understanding the beauty of that and so he's saying, you know what? Let's sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to Him a fresh song. It's a time in our life to worship the Lord. You know, we read this over and over again. Like I said, six times in Psalms, once in Isaiah, but twice in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, the Bible talks about the church singing a new song. And what that is, is when they see Jesus Christ going up to the Father and taking the scroll, the title deed of the earth, because up to that point, there was no hope. And you know, that's always a good place um, to sing a new song. When you find yourself in situations where it seems like there's no hope, and then you realize the Lion of Judah, Has prevailed. If you find yourself or if you find your loved ones in situations where you think there's no hope, or even in looking at this world and the things that are going on, you think there's no hope, I want to encourage you to open your eyes and see that the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Let there be that hope and and let there be that song we see that in revelation chapter 5 verse 9 and then we see it again later in revelation chapter 14 verse 3 where these living creatures they have this unique experience they sing a new song and as god works in us corporately as a church and individually within your lives i want to encourage you to sing a new song You know, one of the things the Lord has opened my eyes to, and this is just a personal testimony, is how holy He is. You know, and it's just like a new revelation. And so what I did was I went online, I went on iTunes, and I got this holy song, this holiness song. It's called Exalt the Lord. And um, it just talks about God's holiness. And for me, it was an awesome experience. What about you? What's God doing in your life? You know, my pastor, Pastor Raw, he would come up to me and he would say, what's the Lord doing in your life? He'd always have a big smile on his face, so it wasn't like a pressure thing, you know, but real smart, what's the Lord doing in your life? And, um, And we should always be able to answer that question. You know, what's God doing? What's He speaking to you about? What's He putting His finger on? And as you're there and there's these new experiences for us as a church, seeing Jesus, there's new experiences for us individually, unique situations. It's a song that only we can sing. It's an awesome thing what the Lord does. But notice what we read right here. He says, again, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. But look what he says next. I love this. He says, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. It's so cool when you read this verse right here. What you see is the psalmist is encouraging us to engage in everyday evangelism. You know, for those of you who work, and I was talking to a brother lately, he's been working every day, my heart goes out to him, man. Think about it, working every single day. I remember I went through a two-year period where I worked every day because I had two jobs every day. It was crazy. I try to tell guys, man, you've got to have a day off. We need a Sabbath day, huh? You've got to have a day off. And it's true. But whatever you do, don't take a day off from working for the Lord. That's what he says right here. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. (laughs) Every day, man. Every day you wake up in the morning and you ask the Lord, okay, Lord, who can I tell uh, about you today? Or where can I go? You know, I remember one guy, it was actually D.L. Moody, he said, you know, uh, I will make a covenant with God that I will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody every day of my life. And you know, there's no wonder that the Lord used him in such a great way. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists the church has ever had because he had that heart. I just want to share the Lord, not just in massive evangelistic events. I'm not going to wait for you know that crusade or that crusade. His heart was a heart that just had you know this longing for the lost to be saved. And so he had a covenant with the Lord, he said, every single day. Now, I'm not saying that every day someone got saved, but he was going to share with somebody every single day. And he even tells us about one story when it was late at night, really, really tired, he's just about to crash. Have you ever been there? You run out of gas and you're like, oh, Lord, thank you for my pillow. You know, you're so happy. And he's just about to fall asleep. And all of a sudden, boom, there's this thought that comes to his mind. And he said, I haven't shared the Lord with anyone today. And it just paralyzed him. So you know what he did? He took off his PJs. He put his clothes on. He went outside and he found the the first person crossing the street. <laughs> he said, "Do you know Jesus?" And the guy's all, "No, I don't." He shared with him. He came to the Lord. He led him to the Lord. Got his follow up information. Went back and went to sleep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he had done what God had called him to do. You know, and maybe that's what the Lord asks for us. I do know. That he wants us to be open to that. And that's what he says right there in verse 2. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Everyday evangelism. What a blessing to see the heart that David had. The heart that God has for the lost. Why are you here? Why are you here? Is it just to have a good time? Is that what it's all about, man? Is it just about, you know, making money? Is that what it's really all about? I mean, what's life really all about, you guys? It's all about this. It is all about the Lord. And it's all about Him wanting to use your life to speak the name of Jesus to people. You know, we can say, hey, God loves you. We can say, hey, you know, go to church. But speak the name of Jesus to them. Because the name of Jesus, the one who died for us on the cross, is the one that brings salvation. And I pray that we wouldn't get sidetracked. You know, I pray that we wouldn't get caught up in this world. The Bible talks about how sometimes the word of God, it falls among thorns. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And that's why we have to be so careful because we can justify a life that is distracted just like that. No, our focus, our passion, our zeal must be for the kingdom. And so that's what we see the Lord say, Amen, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. He says, declare his glory among the nations and his wonders among all peoples. You know, he mentions the, the nations. David wanted God to be glorified among the nations. David wanted the nations and literally the Gentiles, the whole world, to experience God's salvation. And isn't that what the Lord wants? You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord told his disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to do what? To be witnesses to me. Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then one day to the ends of the earth. You know, it's been a blessing lately, doing a little bit more missions work, and we're just getting started. But man, you know, uh, missions is awesome, huh, Robert? Robert can tell you, man. Robert's been, you know, a few places around the world. And it's one thing to go on vacation, you know, and you go and you have a good time and, and stuff like that, but there's nothing like doing a missions trip. And, you know, pray about it. Maybe the Lord will open doors for you to go. Start recycling your bottles and cans and, you know, saving your pennies and things like that. I do know this. If God wants you to go, He'll provide. And if you go, you will be blessed. Maybe you can't go, but maybe you can send somebody. But we have to have a heart. Not just for Jerusalem. It starts there, but then it moves to Judea and Samaria. And then, you know, one day the ends of the earth. Because the Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, first John five nineteen. But it also says in first John chapter two verse two that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins, but for the whole world. Not just our sins. But he died for the whole world. And we have to have a bigger vision. We'll be faithful here. We'll be faithful in our family, but it doesn't stop there. We're going to be faithful in Almani, you know. As a matter of fact, one of the things that the Pastor Chuck told uh, um, uh, the, this guy John Michaels, who was a pastor of Las Vegas, is kind of funny because again, remember I was sharing with you guys today how he wanted to leave Las Vegas, and so Pastor Chuck Adam he, he asked him. He said, well, "I don't understand. You mean to tell me that everybody in Las Vegas is saved?" <laughs> <laughs> And that's got to be our heart. You know, we're not going to stop. You know, we're looking for church property and a building and things like that, but it must be in Almani. It must be. Why? Because this is where God's called us. And we're not going to stop until the whole city's saved. That's got to be our heart. And we see here the Lord sharing through the psalmist some real interesting things. Not only that, I don't know if you guys knew this right here. Look at verse 2 again. Proclaim the good news of his salvation. You know, that's a real interesting thing because you don't see that a lot in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Because in the New Testament, we have the word gospel, right? What does the word gospel mean in the New Testament vernacular? What does it mean? Good news, huh? And here we see it in the Old Testament. Kind of the same thing. Maybe even getting it from here. Drawing it from here. The good news. And you can't have the good news until first of all you understand the bad news. And what's the bad news? That apart from Jesus, we will perish. You know, hopefully all of you here know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But just in case you don't, the bad news is that you will perish. You will not be forgiven of your sins until you accept Christ as your savior that's the that's the bad news you're in a bad place but the good news is that Jesus has died for you and he paid the price and so you go around and you tell him, hey everybody I got I got good news for you man I got a free ticket to heaven you want one <laughs> we love things that are free right and they say sure how do you get that and you share with him the gospel really simple very simple receive Christ as your lord and savior Right now, you know we can get all technical with them, and they'll probably mess everything up. You know, I always tell my kids, I say, "How are you? How are you saved?" And I always drill them, man. And they say, "By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone." Okay, good. And then I tell them, "Give me the easy answer." And they say, "Jesus." I say, "Okay, you can go to sleep now." You know, because <laughs> that's how it's got to work. They got to know the simplicity of it. It's not me being, you know, a saint. It's me turning from my sins. And trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And and David here, he brings the ark to Jerusalem. And now he wants the whole world to get saved. He wants people to understand that God is the saving God. He says in verse 4, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. You know, I always have to like like just kind of remind myself or discipline myself or kind of you know, steer the will of my mind and my heart to remember that this is not a religion. To remember that this is a relationship. And just to remind myself that although I can't see him that he is here. That God is here that that we are there in his sanctuary we're seated in the heavenly places and and I love when you read the psalms because he reminds you of those things and he just says man you got to start worshiping you know not only in song and not just with your lips i think that is an important part of it but you got to worship with your life and and he answers some questions you're like well why you know why should i do it and he says right there in verse for as he goes through the whole thing, he says in verse 4, the Lord is great, greatly to be praised, feared above all gods. Why? For all the gods of the people are idols, they're nothing. But the one that we're worshiping is the one who's made the heavens. I mean, he's the God who made everything. You know, and it's interesting that he would mention the word heavens. Because when you read the Bible, there's three heavens that the Bible speaks about. Number One is the first heaven is called the skies or the atmosphere around planet Earth, and uh we know god's favorite color is blue because he made the skies blue, right at least from our perspective anyways beautiful don't you love the skies? You look up at the stars or maybe the blue skies sometimes you get those funky clouds and you're like, "Wow, Lord, it's awesome, you know he made the heavens, and then you go to what 's called the second heavens, and that 's the space that's the you know the rest of the you know. I guess you could say, created universe, which is pretty big. Anybody near here know how big the, the, the heavens are? They're pretty big, okay? Well, we can only see 14 billion light years in each direction. And so we know for sure it's at least 28 billion light years in diameter. Huge. It's amazing when you look at that. When you read the... I read on NASA. I went on NASA website And according to the NASA website, um, there are 28 billion light years in diameter, 100 billion galaxies, and 400 billion stars. Huge universe. He made them. And you want to know how he made them? By the power of his word. He spoke them into existence. And boom. Talk about the Big Bang. I mean, they they were there that's the one that we worship. And by the way, that's the one that died for you. It's an amazing thing when you understand who this God is. Psalms 147 verse 4 says, He counts the number of the stars and He calls them all by name. Can you imagine 400 billion names to remember? I have a hard enough time remembering 25. You know, sometimes I don't remember someone's name. I'm like, hey bro, how are you doing? I'm sorry, I don't know your name. If you don't know uh, a guy's name in this church, here's the words of advice. Just call him bro or call him Robert. Either one of those two, I think (laughs) you're going to be okay. (laughs) But anyways, you know, the Lord knows the names of all the stars. Isaiah 40, verse 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and by the strength of his power. Not one is missing. That's the God that we worship. We worship the one who made everything. If you get a chance, I encourage you guys. There's a DVD in the, in the lending library. It's called Privileged Planet. And it's a really cool DVD. You kind of got to follow it through. But the way that it, it, it pretty much operates is it, it says, you know, that what are the odds of having life? on a planet in in the universe. And so they went through all the different things. And, man, it's, just an, it's, a, it's an amazing DVD how we have life here and just all the things that were required in order to have life. And not only that, but one of the things about the DVD that is so cool, and let me just kind of give it to you in ways that I can understand it, is that the way that we are placed in the Milky Way galaxy is we're in this swirl and we could have been anywhere in the Milky Way galaxy, but we're in this place in the Milky Way galaxy where basically we're, uh, we're like on a window seat. That's where we're placed at, uh, our, 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 our planet, our solar system. And in this window seat, we can see out into the rest of the universe. Now, if we didn't have this window seat, we wouldn't be able to see anything. And we wouldn't be able to discover anything. God, We wouldn't be able to discover the greatness and all these things that he's made. And what the DVD goes on to explain is that God has made us and placed us on this planet in such a way that we can discover him. It's a real, real amazing thing and the wonders of creation, you know? Because a lot of times we think, oh, it's the scientists. They've made all these discoveries. But the reason the scientists have made all these discoveries is God has set it up so that they can. And that when they do make those discoveries, that we would look up and say, wow, look at the cell. Look at this universe. And that we would just bow. And we see that all the time when we're reading the Bible about just looking at the the greatness of creation and saying, man, Lord, you're the one that we worship. I like what it says there in verse 7. It says, give to the Lord, O families of the people. If you're a family, don't ever forget your flock. You may think, no, it's just, you know, at church where we do those things. No, families worship the Lord together. Husbands, if you have a family Be the priest of your home. Husbands, if you have a family, I encourage you, worship the Lord at home with your family. Read your Bible with your wife and kids. Pray with them. Make your home a church. When they come into your home, they should feel like they're coming into a church, so to speak, you know? He says, families, you're a flock. I want you to fellowship. In verse 8, notice what it says. Give to the Lord that glory do His name. Bring an offering and come into his courts, you know. And in those days, as they were getting ready, and they're going to set up the tabernacle, and then David's son later would build the temple. You know, you would bring the sacrifices. You would bring those sacrifices and those offerings and things like that in order to have fellowship with God. But now we don't have to bring them anymore. Isn't that cool? How many of you here sinned today? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> I bet you you all did, man. Okay. And oh, imagine what it must have been like imagine what it must have been like. You you know, you go to the, the tabernacle and you offer up your sacrifice and you bring your, you know, your animal and you give it to the priest and what he does is he slices it up, he drains the blood, he cuts it up and he barbecues it for you, right? And then he offers a prayer and you walk away and you're like, Phew, I'm forgiven, oh man, I feel so good. You remember how it was? How many of you here were Catholic growing up? You remember how it was after you are done with confession? You know, you did kind of feel good. You said your 10 Hail Marys and your 20 Our Fathers and things like that. And then you walk out of there and you're like, Oh, cool, I feel good. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's been, you know, whatever, three weeks since my last confession. These are my sins. And you go through and you get all that done. And then you walk out. And then how long does it take you to sin? I mean, it just doesn't take long, you know. And so imagine if you have the tabernacle and, you know, you, you, know, you live 70 miles away. And so you have to go back, you know, when you sin. Otherwise, what? You you got this guilt on you. Imagine what it must have been like, you guys, having to bring those sacrifices and those offerings to the tabernacle, you know, in order to to be forgiven of of your sins. It, it must have been tough. It must have been, uh, you know, just a real tough life. It kind of reminds me of Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther was a monk. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk priest. He was honest. He was one of the few honest men. And so you know what he did? He lived in the the confessional, man. He would be in there for hours confessing his sins to where the priest would say, please leave, you know. (laughs) You've been here for too long. But in all honesty, if that's the way it worked, if the only way that I can get my sins absolved would be to be in the confessional booth, there I live, right? But thank God that's not the way it works anymore, huh? We don't have to bring sacrifices anymore, huh? We don't have to bring lambs and turtle doves and you know all these different offerings. Why? Because Jesus offered himself. And you read that in the book of Hebrews, you read that over and over again throughout the scriptures. Later on I encourage you to read Hebrews ten, eleven through fourteen. And it says they they just kept offering and the priests were there. And the priests could never finish the work. They could never sit down. There was always work to be done because there was always sins and there was always offerings for sins. But Jesus Christ, with that one offering there on the cross of Calvary, it says, He finished the work and He sat down at the right hand of the throne most high, meaning He finished it. And so thank God we don't have to bring those types of ceremonial offerings or sacrificial offerings. But we can bring other offerings, right? I mean, we can bring the offerings of our sustenance. You know, one of the things you'll find here at Calvary Chapel is we don't ask for money. You know, we don't, you guys. Um, we, We never will. We never will. If the Lord doesn't give us money to pay the bills, if He doesn't give us money to have a building, then we won't have a building. If the Lord doesn't give us money for whatever it is, then you know what? That's not His will, and that's okay. We will never, ever do that, you know. One time they asked us to, you know, ask the congregation for... I mean, when we got the carpet, the carpet was donated to us. They totally donated the carpet to us. And so they said, you should ask for the congregation to give you money to install the carpet. Because, you know, it's going to be like 2500 2000 something like that. And, you know, we just said, oh, no, well, no way. We're not going to do that. And guess what the Lord did? He provided provided the 2000 that was necessary to install the carpet. But it's okay. I have to teach you that it's okay to give to the Lord. We'll never pressure you, but, you know, I have this little boy. Oh, He's not my little boy, but there's this little boy who doesn't have a dad. And so um, what I'll do with him every once in a while is I'll come in and I'll say, have you been being a good little boy? I've been trying to bribe him, okay? <laughs> no, I'm trying my best just to kind of share out a few things with him. And I give him four quarters. And I say, okay, what are you going to do with these four quarters? And he says, okay, Manny, the first one is for God. The second one, I save. And the next two, I play video games, right? <laughs> and I say, okay, well, if you want to play video games, you, you know, you can. But the next two, you spend them as God would lead you. Because it all belongs to him. But I want to encourage you to give to God first. Because what I found in my life is that when I give to God off the top, the fat of the firstborn, the best of the best, then He provides for me. And He has provided for me in ways that blow my mind. He has provided for us here in El Monte when people said, you know what, you'll never make it in El Mani. Monte. is a poor city. That's what they told me when we first started the church. But you can ask Jose, has God provided for us? God has blessed us. But you got to give to God what belongs to God. You know, and, and and you honor the Lord. If you don't, and you go to Jack in the Box, and you go to Starbucks, and you go to McDonald's, and you go do your thing, I'm telling you right now, you're going to reach into your pockets and there's going to be nothing there. I know how it is. I know that's how it works. But when you give to God what belongs to God, and then you begin to give God even more, and you begin to give by faith, you cannot out God. He will bless you. I've seen that. We don't talk about that a lot here, but whenever it comes up, I think it's good to to share with you guys those things. When you come in, you bring to the Lord the glory due his name. You bring, you know, offerings to the Lord. You know, and it's okay to bring of your sustenance, it's okay to bring of yourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 5, it says that the the Macedonians, they first gave themselves and that's what you need to do. Give yourself, give your offerings to the Lord. It's an awesome thing when you see, as you live your life for the Lord, you guys are living sacrifices. And so we read in verse nine: "And worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth." I like that. The way it says "beauty of His holiness" to to worship the Lord. Because he is exalted in his majesty above all of creation. Sing before him. Bow before him. And it even says right here, tremble before him all the earth. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you tremble before the Lord? Let me put it another way. Do you fear the Lord? Or do you just do whatever you want? Do you think you can sin and get away with it? Can't. I fear the Lord. I don't fear the Lord that He's going to cast me into hell anymore because I've given my life to Him, and I, you know, I'm just so grateful that. But I do fear that if I, you know, presumptuously and repeatedly and rebelliously continue in defiant disobedience, that He will strip me of my family. He will strip me of the ministry. And what will happen is I'll disqualify myself. I gotta tremble. (laughs) I gotta tremble before the Lord. If you're here today and you're struggling in sin and something you know you're just having a hard time with, um, get get accountable, man. Why? Because you can't you can't continue in that. It'll destroy you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right. And so right there in verse 10, he says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So we're going to see this again in verse chapter 97. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. I love what it says right here. He's just saying, warn the world, tell the world that Jesus is coming. And you know, whenever you see a healthy church, you have a a church that is just having that, that, that urgency to know that the Lord is coming. You know, I've shared with you guys many times this story, but just in case there's one person here who hasn't heard it, I'm going to say it again for the 100th time. (laughs) Because you remember the story, there were three demons and they were talking to the devil. Okay, this isn't in the Bible, but I'm just giving you an illustration, okay? And the first demon said, I know how I can trip them up, I'll go down there and I'll tell them there's no God. And so the devil said, okay, cool, you know, you can go down there and tell them there's no God and... You'll do some damage and you'll probably hinder a lot of people. But deep down inside, they know there's a God, you know. And so the second demon reported to the devil and says, I know what I'll do. I'll tell them that this isn't God's word. That's what I'll do. And the devil said, "Okay, cool. You know what? You'll do damage. But, you know, the bottom line is when it all comes down to it, deep in their heart, they know this is God's word. There's no book like it. But. Yeah, go ahead. You know, you'll do a little damage. And then the third demon came to the devil and he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tell them there's no urgency. I'll tell them there's no hurry. I'll tell them that today doesn't have to be the day. And the devil said, go. You are my man. Because what's happened in the world today is that the church lacks the urgency and the fire and the zeal and the passion that we need to have. Because if the church gets right, then we will change the world. And what you see right here is that he's saying, man, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Tell the nations that the Lord is coming. Um, I'm going to give you guys a sneak preview. We're going to show a movie on the 9th of this month. And I don't want to destroy the whole movie for you, but is it okay if I destroy a little bit of it for you? Okay. <laughs> I feel bad, but I just got to tell you this, man. Because the guy, really cool guy, he's mentoring these kids. And you know what he does? One of the first lessons he does is he takes them to the cemetery. And he says, Okay, guys, I want you to listen to the tombstones. And so little boys are listening. You know, they're putting their ear to the tombstones. And and, and the guy who's mentoring them, he says, Can you hear him? And they are like, No, I can't hear him. He said, Listen, listen, listen. and And he said, If you listen you'll hear them saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And I think that that's happened to the church. All these people are dying all around us to perishing. And we don't have the urgency to realize that we're living in the last of the last days. All of us, all of them, our days are numbered. We have to have this in our heart. Right here he talks about you know, the Lord just, man, one day he's going to make every wrong right. Justice is going to come. King Jesus is going to set up his throne. Obama, all those guys who are on their high horse, they're going to be, you know, put down. And Jesus will reign from Jerusalem. And everybody's happy. It says right here, even the creation is happy. And if you read Romans 8:17 through 22, the Bible does say that even creation groans. You know, they just, meant they even want the day to come when God makes all things new. And so we need to rejoice in his imminent return. And we need to know, you guys, that redemption is on the horizon. I can't wait until the new kingdom. How about you? It's going to be cool, huh? The rule of righteousness in which King Jesus will bring justice. And looking at that psalm, we see pretty much three admonitions. Sing to the Lord. Give to the Lord and look to the Lord. Real quick, Psalm 97. It says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Now, it's kind of funny how this verse would follow what we just read because he says the Lord reigns. He doesn't say the Lord will reign. He says the Lord reigns. And what that you know, tells us and the way that we understand it is that one day there will be a physical reign. Physically, King Jesus will reign in Jerusalem. But right now, there's an invisible reign. And even though we see that Satan has certain elements of authority that have been given to him, ultimately, we need to know that the Lord reigns. That the Lord's on the throne and the Lord's in control. And so he says, therefore, let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see. His glory. I want to encourage you guys just to know that God is sovereign, that God is awesome, that God is omnipotent, that God is all powerful, that God is on your side and make sure you're on his side. You know, I know some of you here, you're facing mountains in your life. You're facing mountains. What are we going to do, God? What about this? I don't know about him. I don't know about her. Lord, there's this mountain in front of me, man. You know, and I can't climb it and I can't move it. And God says, listen, it will melt like wax in my presence. And when you're facing those mountains, man, you got to know how much greater your God is. God has called us to conquer these mountains. He will put them before you. I'm reminded of Caleb. Caleb was 80 years old. He went into the promised land. You know what he told Moses? I mean, Joshua, he said, Joshua, give me that mountain. How many of you here at 80 years old would be willing to do that? I hope that you would. (laughs) But he said, give me that mountain. That's what I want, man, the the big one. And, you know, the Lord gave him the victory. we got to have that. We have to think big. We have to have vision for the kingdom and even the difficulties that we face in life, man. Don't despair, God is going to help you through those things. We need to rejoice. Don't be downcast anymore. Don't be bummed. Don't be depressed. Don't be stressed. Don't, don't, don't worry. That's of the devil. Don't worry. The Lord has a beautiful plan for your life. And as you stay focused on Him, He will give you the victory. Because God's doing a work in this church. I know He is. God's doing a work in me. God's doing a work in you. This is not normal. It's it's real Christians who believe in a real God. And I'm seeing Him do amazing things. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. And you can be a part of that if you just believe. He says there in verse 7, Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice. Because of your judgments, O Lord, for you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. It says right there, you who love the Lord hate evil. You know, and he's speaking about these idols right here, and we know that idols are nothing. Um, for us, maybe in a cultural application might be, you know, just to know that. You know, I don't know if there's anyone here who has this thought, but you know, maybe you're thinking, well, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or, or whatever. You know, that all religions are the same. No, they're not. All those other beliefs are idols. There's only one God. And there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. No one else. And as you follow him, you don't get distracted with anything else. No idols in your life. The Bible says even covetousness can be an idol. You don't get distracted with anything. What's your price? You know, what's your toy that will tug your heart away from God? What's your hobby that has your heart? Rather than God. Whatever it is. He'll pay it. He'll go fishing. He says okay. I know he likes that. She likes that. No. We can't be distracted man. We have to. You know. It's the Lord. It's just the Lord. And and verse 10. He says. You who love the Lord. Hate evil. And I love that. Because there you see some things. That are so important for us. As Christians. You know. The extreme passion. That God calls us to. To really love him. And I can't tell you how much I, I just remind myself and I want to just hope and pray that you would always be constantly reminding yourself that it really isn't a religion, that it really is a relationship. And we, and we just we just got to love him. man. We got to love the Lord. And we have to hate evil. You know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. He's not just a guide, he's our God. We're not distant citizens in this kingdom, but rather we're close to His heart. We're close kids. Privilege, not to simply obey His laws in a legal relationship, but to obey His laws in a loving relationship. And the first and foremost commandment in your life is to love the Lord. Hate evil. Hate it. Why would you hate evil? Why would you hate evil? You know, why would you hate I've never tried heroin. I heard it's it's crazy. Don't you know? Why would you hate that? Why would you hate? I remember when I used to get drunk. I mean, I thought I had a good time. And all those other things that are sin, you know, they're fun for a season. Why would you hate that? Why? Anybody know why? Hurts you. Yeah, that's one reason. Why else? It separates us from God. That's why. You choose your sin, and it separates you from God. And that's why you got to hate it. It brings reproach to His name. It dishonors Him. I was talking to a guy and who had fallen in adultery, and he was telling me the very first thing that the counselor asked him was, what would you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? And you know it's oh, I hurt my wife, I hurt, you know, the church and things like that. And it's true, he did. But the first thing he needed to understood was I have dishonored God. And then when you sin, that's what happens. And we just have to, we just have to hate it. Love the Lord, hate evil. That's what he says right there. He preserves the souls of his saints, he delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for righteousness. And gladness for the upright in heart. The word light right there, it actually speaks of joy. The joy that accompanies deliverance and the outpouring of divine favor. Light, joy. (laughs) And that's why he says in verse 12, Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. So I guess it's time to finish. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for us, Lord. And it's a working word, Lord. Uh, So many things that we covered tonight. And Father, I want to just pray that everyone here would know uh, what an awesome, awesome God you are. That you would bless the people here in a mighty way, Lord, and help them through the difficulties, help them through the challenges. Give them strength, Lord, throughout the week and, Lord, for the rest of their life. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who has not really been walking with you, who is not walking in a relationship with God, I ask you, Lord, please, Lord, bring them into that relationship tonight. Lord, bring us into that healthy, loving, beautiful, wonderful, intimate, relationship in which we know you're with us, Lord. And we just live to please you. Thank you again, Lord, for tonight. And I just pray you would just have your hand upon our hearts, God. I love you, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.